Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. The Entolamaginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, COVID and the politics at play. We're crushing COVID, except we're not. He hasn't withdrawn advice in terms of the desirability of wearing masks in crowded situations, be it in public transport. Stay indoors, don't hug your grandparents. Yet now society has reopened and it's back to the party. Our numbers fell, but are now at a record high. Some hospitals have been forced to cancel elective procedures and focus on critical work due to the high number of admissions related to coronavirus. Doctors say Everyone must fully isolate. But wait, this is impacting on the workplace, so scratch that idea. Very significant numbers, probably well over 5,000 staff out with COVID, and that's doctors, nurses, consultants. What is going on with the politics of COVID and what's with all the mixed messaging? I'm Siobhan Maguire, and today on the Daily, I'm joined by Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent in the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent. Hugh, I hope you have the answers because I can't keep up with all these COVID changes. What's with all the adjustments of these rules? Well, I think we're in a new phase of the pandemic now where life is is going around, on around us as normal. Um, we're all getting back to life as we knew it before March 2020. And with that, we are experiencing record high case numbers. Just to give you an example, uh, this month, March, there has been uh, more than a qu- quarter of a million COVID-19 cases across uh, PCR and antigen testing. This is confirmed COVID-19 cases reported to the HSE. Um, that's more than at any point uh, in the first two waves of COVID-19. Um so with that, we are uh, not experiencing the same types of pressures on the health system that we would have experienced during the first wave of COVID-19, the second wave uh, and the third wave. Uh, nonetheless, the hospital system is under pressure. ICU numbers are not uh, at the levels that they were in January 2021. They are uh, anything, they are, they're well below 100 um, and they haven't gone up in line with the rising number of cases and the rising number of hospitalizations. We're getting an awful lot of incidental COVID in hospitals where anything up to a half of the number of patients in hospital with COVID-19 are testing positive for COVID-19, but have actually been admitted to hospital for other illnesses and other um, issues. So... 
that's kind of to give you a sense of where we are at mm-hmm. and why we are not experiencing, uh, for example, uh, new restrictions or there is any talk of new restrictions being reimposed. But certainly there is concern, the high numbers of cases, the high numbers of people in hospital, the pressure that's putting on the health system and a debate taking place about whether we move too quickly uh, out of all of the public health restrictions, none of which exist anymore. It's interesting, Hugh, we had Professor John Ryan from St. Vincent's Hospital on a podcast last week, and he was um, making the point that the, the hospitalizations for COVID are in a cohort of people who are extremely elderly. And that suggests that there's still a a huge part of society who are extremely vulnerable in all of this. And and yet we have, look, look at what happened over the weekend. Football fans crowding into the Aviva. Life is going on. Yeah, and very few people wearing masks now. I think you know, but you and I would both see around town in shops, in pubs, on public transport, um, in restaurants, people not wearing masks. Uh, people not wearing masks, in particular, on public transport anymore to any great degree. And um, the, the the lapsing of the mask mandate was expected to bring with it a kind of a caution that Irish people had applied over the last two years, whereby a lot of people would keep the mask. Whereas, in fact, a lot of people have given up the mask because they they feel as if they can uh, go about their lives as normal. I think, you know, we're both, uh, I don't know about you, Siobhan, but certainly I know more people now who have had COVID-19 in the last few weeks than any point in the last two years. And just in my job right now, we're seeing, I think at the last count, it's it's three or four members of the cabinet who have, have COVID-19. We had uh, uh, the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, symptomatic last week and, and isolating as a result. Uh, Helen McEntee, the justice minister, testing positive for the second time in the last few months. Uh, the Taoiseach, who we all know, uh, got stuck in Washington longer than he would have liked and had to uh, forego the, the Oval Office visit because he tested positive for COVID-19. And then just last Friday morning, we had a report that uh, the Tony Stilly of Radker had also tested positive for, for COVID-19 on, on antigen, uh, having attended the uh, the European um, uh, European engagements in Brussels the, the previous day, last Thursday. So an awful lot of people are getting COVID-19. Uh, some people are getting a fair old belt of it and they're getting pretty sick, but they're not getting sick to the point that they're ending up in hospital. And as you say, there is a cohort of people who are ending up in hospital, who are getting quite sick. Um, and, and obviously then th- that creates a, a, a debate within society about, well, how, how are we responding to this now? How is the government going to respond to this now? And one of the things that's happened is that all of the structures that we became used to over the last few years have kind of fallen away. So there's no Neffet. We haven't heard from Neffet since it last met on the 17th of February. Uh, it, I think it's it's well over uh, a month since we've heard from the chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Holohan. Uh, the most we've heard from any senior Neffet figure is Philip Nolan, the, the head of modeling on Neffet, or what was once Neffet. Uh, he was in uh, Washington, D.C. recently uh, on behalf of the Science Foundation Ireland, which he, he now heads up. Uh, and he did a, a doorstep with reporters out there, Irish reporters out there, and, and said that this is what we're experiencing now is an exit wave, where basically the kind of the, the, the tail end of the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people are getting COVID-19. They're not getting it uh, particularly severely, uh, certainly not to the extent to which people were in 2020 and 2021, and that this is is perhaps the final stretch out of the, out of uh, of COVID-19. But in truth, we don't know. A new variant could be around the corner. 
we just don't know, and we don't know either what are the sort of policy responses that are going to be uh, being brought in, but also the sort of policy responses, uh, who's going to come up with those policy responses, and how is going to, how is government going to react to that? And it's interesting there, Hugh, that you mention Neffet, and of course we know that Dr. Tony Holohan, who kind of was the face of Neffet um, as the chair, he's stepping down from his position as chief medical officer uh, to take up a new role with Trinity from the 1st of July. But when we talk about Neffet, it being disbanded, this new kind of watered down, smaller version coming down the line, it does kind of beg the question whether we were too hasty to get rid of it altogether. Well, Neffet kind of fell away because it decided to to fall away, to disband itself. The chief medical officer convened the last Neffet meeting on the 17th of February. After that, he wrote a letter to the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, saying this is what Neffet recommends. And it was effectively the removal of all remaining restrictions, uh, most specifically, obviously, the, the mask mandate. I spoke to the chief medical officer uh, in relation to this, and he's very clear that the advice stays. I mean, he hasn't withdrawn advice in terms of the desirability of wearing masks in crowded situations, be it in public transport or in retail. Um, but we, we had no basis for maintaining the legal requirement to do so, given the public advice you know, that we had received at the time. Alongside that, he wrote a letter, a four-page letter that hasn't been released publicly, outlining what he believed should be uh, should succeed Neffet, an advisory group, a small, a, a small advisory group made up of a number of key individuals, most likely including himself and other uh, key uh, personalities, I suppose, who we've come used to over the last uh, few years, people like Philip Nolan, Killian de Gascon, Ronan Glynn, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, and maybe some representatives from the HSC there as well. And they would be tasked with monitoring the pandemic, uh, monitoring the, the tra- trajectory of COVID-19 in the country, disease, uh, the numbers of, of cases of the disease, the numbers of people in the hospital, all of these key indicators that we've become used to over the last two years, and would then make recommendations to government as to whether there needed to be any sort of uh, targeted policy policy responses to that. For several weeks, nothing has happened Nothing happened with that recommendation. Uh, Stephen Donnelly, we are given to understand, had his own ideas about who should be on that group. Um, and the result was that no, no Neffet successor was immediately set up. So that creates a question as to how do then do we respond to the pandemic? How does government make decisions around the pandemic? And for the most part, it seems to be that the, uh, the Taoiseach or the health minister will consult with the chief medical officer, Tony Holin, and he will say, well, I don't think there are any grounds for restrictions, as was reported late last week by my colleague Philip Ryan. Holin was telling the government, I don't see any case for reimposing any sorts of restrictions or bringing back in the mask mandate or anything like that. Uh, but really, this is not in a satisfactory s- situation. So in terms of managing the pandemic going forward, uh, it would be, I think, crucial that there is a group in place that that, that is uh, there to advise on pandemic response, uh, on, on policy responses to, to COVID-19 and to adjust and, and be agile and be able to respond accordingly when disease numbers shoot up and and consider whether any new recommendations are needed or not, or any new public health restrictions are needed or not, or any specific policy responses are needed or not. Should we be testing more people? Uh, Should we be doing more research into the types of people who are getting admitted into the hospital? These kinds of things, these kinds of targeted policy responses all seems to be being done on a kind of an ad hoc basis right now. When I think back to um, the the workings of NEFID, over the last um, two years, Hugh, it all got very panto um, at different stages. I know you. I know you have a book coming out on on the politics at play during the pandemic as well. So you're probably better placed to answer this. But it was very much a you know, yay, Neffet, boo, Neffet, and this went on for two years, didn't it? 
Yeah, so myself and, and my colleague from the, the Irish Times, uh, Jack Horgan Jones, have, have written a book called Pandemonium, uh, Power Politics in Ireland's Pandemic, which will be published on, on May 5th. And really, it goes back over the two years of the pandemic and the way in which the political and uh, the public service and the health service responded to the, the crisis and the various rows that took place along the way, um, which are obviously kind of have, we, we all know about, but we've hopefully gone into them in a bit more detail. And also, we'll bring you hopefully details of, of new rows that you may not have known about or may not have heard about. And really, I suppose what's become clear from, uh, from writing the book, and I've written a little bit about this in the Sunday Independent quite recently, is the extent to which Ireland's pandemic response was kind of done uh, without the sort of structures in place that you might have expected. There was no consideration or no serious consideration given to setting up the National Emergency Coordination Group, which is actually recommended by the government's own policy, uh, I, I believe, sets out that in a situation where some sort of uh, pandemic emerges, th this is the kind of structure that sh should be set up, the National Emergency Coordination Group, which is the group uh, set up to deal, we're used to seeing it deal with extreme weather events, for example. Um, it's a cross-departmental group. There's political uh, people on it, there's ministers on it, there's government advisors on it and so on. But what happens with the with, with Ireland's uh, pandemic response was that in, in late January of 2020, um, the chief medical officer decided to set up a national public health emergency team. Now, we've had these before, but this was one was to deal specifically with this coronavirus as we knew it then that had emerged in China in late, late 2019. And from then, it became the preeminent body uh, tasked with formulating all of the policy responses to the pandemic, all of the public health restrictions, everything that has dominated our lives for two years was 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 run out an effort effectively, uh, or at least they were making the recommendations to government to then decide upon. But Neffet's word was gospel for a long time during this uh, during during the pandemic, and of course we know about the rows that that happened along the way, but there was no ministerial decision taken to set up Neffet. You know, Simon Harris, the then health minister, didn't decide himself to set up Neffet. Tony Holland decided to set up a, a Neffet, as, as far as we as we understand. Uh, similarly, there was no cabinet decision uh, to, to set up Neffet either. This, this was never something that went before cabinet. And then th there wasn't any politician on Neffet. There was no political accountability. These were meetings that uh, of public health officials uh, doctors, scientists, and, and experts in the field. And there's no doubt they did enormous amounts of, of work and for the most part got a lot of the policy responses correct. But they were making monumental decisions in private meetings, the minutes of which were released weeks, if not months later. Uh, the degree to which they were accountable to uh, people who, uh, like politicians who are elected by the people, there's a question as to whether there was a, the, the level of accountability that might have been necessary there, given the enormous decisions they were that were taking, that they were taking that affected all of our lives, and that's something that we explore in, in detail in the book. So I'd encourage listeners to buy it. Yeah, you've got a, got a lovely little plug in there for yourself, Hugh. Um, I guess when we're talking about uh, the idea of political accountability, um, there's a lot of people out there who still desperately. Need need that political guidance on COVID. 
they need to know that it's it, it's it's not going to be okay for people to get rid of their masks entirely. That it's not going to be okay for people, uh, you know, to be out and about with um, little thought for for the more vulnerable cohort within society. So where is that accountability, Hugh? So that's a very good question, Siobhan. I think over the last two years, we became conditioned to our political leaders. First, it was uh, Leo Varadkar and then it was Micheál Martin coming out and telling us, this is what we need you to do now in order to get the trajectory of COVID-19 under control, in order to get disease numbers down, in order to get hospital admissions down, ICU admissions down. These are the measures we need you to take. We need you to pull together and do this in the interests of, of keeping people alive and keeping people safe. And we haven't had an address to the nation by the Taoiseach in in several weeks now. And it's unlikely we're going to get one again as it relates to COVID-19 unless we we enter a new phase where there's a new devastating variant. And so the degree to which we uh, became conditioned to uh, our political leaders telling us what we needed to do and people doing it uh, and the degree of of public compliance... um, you know, that seems to be have, have have kind of fallen away somewhat in recent weeks. And I think there's no greater illustration of that than what's happened with masks, where the government decided that there was no longer going to be a fine imposed on people for not wearing their masks in certain settings. Um, but the advice remains to wear your mask in crowded places. But I, I think anyone who's been walking around the country or been into any... Uh, pub or restaurant or into a crowded shopping centre or a crowded shop or on a crowded bus or a crowded train will have seen the vast majority of people not wearing their masks anymore because they don't believe that they they have to. They don't need to. They're not going to be fined if they don't. It's merely guidance. Um, and I think there might have been an expectation that people would wear their masks a bit more uh, than has been the case. But I think it's it's it, for a lot of people, they feel as if the pandemic is, is truly over now and they want to get on with their lives, notwithstanding the fact that we are experiencing record high case numbers. And COVID is disrupting people's lives. It's keeping people out of work. It's keep people keeping people from traveling to other countries. It's keeping the Taoiseach from the Oval Office. It's keeping uh, people from from family gatherings and so on and so forth. And so now we, but but the policy response has, has, has changed uh, such as it is, not to whether, well, you know, do we need to reimpose restrictions, but how actually can we make life easier for people? So uh, the reports uh, on Friday in the Irish Independent by my colleague Philip Ryan um, that the isolation period of seven days, the guidance could be changed to to maybe down to five days, but certainly reduced down from seven days. So certainly, you know, it's, it appears as if government is looking at ways to make people's lives easier to live with COVID uh, rather than kind of restricting them more. Uh, and that is something I think that the public are going to have to get used to. Um, and they're going to run the risk, obviously, of, of uh, you know putting themselves at risk of getting COVID-19 and, and exposing others to it as well. And that's the thing, isn't it, Hugh? You know, we have to learn to live with COVID-19. And that's what we're we're definitely doing at the moment, because as you mentioned earlier, you know, everyone seems to be catching COVID. The World Health Organization slapped us on the wrist last week over how we're currently handling um, our COVID cases. And uh, and then you mentioned the um, isolation period relating to employees getting back to work. And we do see the healthcare system creaking under the number of absences uh, in addition to hospitalizations. I wonder, is it actually just that economics has to win out now, that we have to get everyone back to work and out and about and uh, and just allow for the fact that COVID is here to stay? 
I think, you know, I'd be loath to connect COVID-19 with what's happening in Ukraine right now. But certainly I think there's only so much crisis, so many crises that the government can deal with at one time. And certainly the degree to which all of government and the public services bandwidth is being devoted towards the war in Ukraine and the response to huge influx of refugees, the economic implications of that war, uh, it, the, the impact it could have on, on anything, everything really from fuel to food, the, the cost of living spiraling. Everything is trained on that right now. So the degree to which the state and its various agencies and government departments and so on have the bandwidth to be dealing with uh, COVID-19, I would say, is is quite limited. Now, obviously, the health service is at the forefront of that. I think you're, you're going to see now the government's uh, very much formulating pandemic policy in a way in which we just live with COVID rather than restrict our lives because of COVID-19. Now, that could change if there is another variant or if there's some, you know, development that uh, means that we have to we have to change gears. But but I think certainly the uh, the state is 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 more focused now I think on alleviating the cost of living uh, and that comes about in several ways and and not least the fact that the economy needs to be doing as well as it can in these circumstances. People need to be at work, they need to be paying taxes, the government needs to be bringing in tax revenue and so shutting down the country to keep people at home to keep them safe is no longer a policy response I think that will be seriously considered going forward into the future. Um, there's only so much that the state can do to respond to the war in Ukraine. Uh, there was a lot the state could do to respond to COVID-19. They could tell people to stay at home. They could pay them to stay at home. They could shut down the entire country. That can't be done anymore now. Uh, and I think that that's, that's the, why we are now going to be living with COVID in the way that we are now into the future. Well, my thanks there to Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent for the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent. Well, I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself with research by Tabitha Monahan and sound design by John Smith. Clips from independent.ie and RTE. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.